Hey, hey, welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. I am your host, JR, and we're here to talk about all the things going on in the Big Ten. We've got our Week 12 recap. We've also got some more news to talk about, possibly with Jim Harbaugh. We're not, there's nothing really that broke today, but we are going to talk about his impact on the Michigan football team. What is it? How big is it? Do we feel like it's actually making a difference? And then we're also going to give our five top best players in the Big Ten so far this season. There's no real rules or parameters to it. It's just kind of like hey who do you like the most who do you think has been playing the best those kind of things so we're just going to give you five players that we really really liked this year in the big 10 but i'm going to let my guests introduce themselves first sunny introduce yourself and tell people where they can find you at sure my name is sunny i'm a co-host of illini cast it's a podcast basically based on illinois athletics we mainly focus on football but we also dabble in basketball and you can also find me at the sunny v for kind of a broader level sports takes very good. All right. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about the Bears. It was a fun game until the very end, yeah. Great weekend yeah. for you, Sonny. Unfortunately, that's kind of how it's been going for the Bears. So we won't talk about that, though, Sonny. Don't worry. All right, let's bring it over to Justin. Justin, tell me about you and where they can find you at. Yeah, my name is Justin Adams. Um, I am uh, over from the Nebraska Huskers um, at the Voice of College Football. So Nebraska Football at the Voice of College Football. Um, I am the content creator uh, slash postgame host over there. So um you know keep up to date with um nebraska football we also have you know other reporters from other teams that come on our live stream so if you're a fan of another team hop on one of our lives you can kind of see the game uh the game uh preview so yep if you are interested in that go over there and uh subscribe but i uh, appreciate you having me on jared appreciate it for sure yeah we've had both justin and and uh sunny on a couple times and uh, both guys are great so we're looking forward to breaking down a big week 12 leading into a big week 13 but uh just before we get into that please do like and subscribe if you're listening on youtube it does help us out and also give us a follow give us a rating on podcasts as well we want to know how you think we're doing uh what things can we do better what things can we improve on what things you really like those kind of things and then we're also brought to you by big banter sports bigbantersports.com for all your big 10 media needs all right so let's start off guys with michigan at maryland michigan 31 maryland 24 feel like this was kind of the game everybody had their eyes on i wouldn't be shocked if the tv ratings come out and this is like one of those top three games it was close everybody's keeping an eye on Michigan right now with the cheating stuff that goes on so I'm sure we have some comments on that but just give me your kind of general thoughts on the game as a whole Sonny what did you think you know it, it, it's kind of two-winded um, this is Maryland is one of like when they're on is one of the top four you know offenses in the conference and they played reasonably well uh, yesterday and Michigan kind of hasn't really had to deal with that. Drew Aller struggled a little bit in that Penn State game. Talia obviously is a lot more experienced and he was the best quarterback that Michigan has had to go up against um, all season long. It was one of those where I think it was good for Michigan to kind of get punched in the face a couple times uh, before the game next week. But, you know, it's it's also one of those they've been dealing with, you know, we're talking about weeks and we own, we're maybe a month now of this controversy, the Stallions controversy. You kind of have to wonder if it's kind of wearing on them, wearing them down a little bit, because they did not look like the Michigan team that we've been getting used to for the first 11 weeks of the season, which looked like, you know, one of the best teams in college football history. So, you know, it... Leading into next week, uh, we're not seeing the strongest Michigan, but is it because they're kind of playing a little bit more conservative? They know that there's a big game next week and they don't want to show too much? Or 
are they just kind of getting worn down by the fatigue of not only playing football, but all the drama that's going on with uh, their head coach? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. What do you think about that, Justin? Yeah, um, you know, I'm not sure because like I I do feel like that's probably the biggest thing that's going to distract them even more than Harbaugh suspension um, is kind of the pressure and all of the eyes being on them and you know, that does add a lot of weight to them because they feel extra pressure to go out there and win and be like, no, they don't want their legacies tainted by this either, you know? So um, really just poetic justice, though, that that was the worst our defense has looked. Um, I was very happy that that was the worst our defense had looked um, in that game because just more fuel to the fire to be able to go after Michigan and their fans. I mean, honestly, because they've been completely insufferable lately. But yeah, overall, like he said, um, Dahlia would with that offense, when they're clicking, they are tough. And uh, that was one of the biggest fears in the Nebraska game, you know, is I was afraid that that offense is so dynamic that they were going to actually be able to take up. But it happened in the second half of the Michigan game. Luckily, Michigan had a couple of opportunities that were given to them, you know, the uh, blocked field goal for the touchdown. And I believe it was a fumble, was a fumble scoop and score Yeah, on the other one. So got spotted a couple touchdowns there. Otherwise... They're on the uh, the wrong end of this, but um, win number a thousand is tainted. So we'll, we'll take that to the grave. They'll be the first team to win a thousand games twice, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they get those wins revoked, but I mean, overall, good game. I was a little little frustrated that Maryland didn't pull it out, but um, I, I will say there was no chance to pull it out. Uh, I, I've seen firsthand what happens to being the game right before the game. Yeah. Last year with Illinois coming down to that final drive, a bunch of whistles that shouldn't have been blown. Yeah, uh, don't think we should have won that game in the big house. So I didn't have much confidence that Maryland would be able to pull it off. No. But um, yeah, I mean, good for them. And you know, I, is it me or is next week's game going to be probably the highest rated ever from the the history of the series? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, they're saying 2006 is going to be the only one that compares. I think that was I, I think that was the number one versus two matchup. I think so. Um, and it, it's like it, it's crazy because what was it last year? Both teams were 11 and 0. The year before that, yeah. um, you know, 11 and 0 and or not 11 and 0, a 10 and 1 versus 10 and 1 because Michigan State and Oregon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the, the rivalry just been has just been huge lately, and I just feel like there's so much on the line for Michigan right now, because not only are they playing to win games, but like these players are playing for pride to be able to say like, no, it wasn't the cheating. We're really this good. Yeah. Um, and then they're also playing like for the draft stock because, you know, no doubt that some of like these draft guys are looking at them. And it's like, are you really that good against the blitz JJ yeah. McCarthy? Or did you just know it's coming? Or like, are these safeties really that good at reading play action? Or did they just know for sure it's coming? Like, these are all things to consider. And then at the same time, you have Sharon Moore, who's basically like, I mean, I think we can all be frank here. It doesn't look like if more things come out that Jim Harbaugh is going to be coaching at Michigan next yeah. year, whether that's because of a suspension or whether it's because he leaves. Um, it, it doesn't look like it's very promising for Jim Harbaugh to be coaching there at least the oh. entire season next year. So you have Sharon Moore also saying like, Hey, this is my chance to get a head coaching job in the big 10. The money's really yep. nice. This is a blue blood program. I mean, there's just so much they're playing for right now. Um, and, and it really, I feel like it has to impact the players. In addition to that, I said at the beginning of the season, 
this is going to be the toughest three game stretch of the season. Yeah. Michigan did not help themselves when they were scheduling this out. And I get some of the, you know, the, the conference is the one that puts it together. So I guess that's not really them, but like they didn't, they didn't schedule a good game at the beginning of the year that they can kind of rest on and be like, Hey, that was a really good win. That's something we can go back to. Like they, they're really struggling here because these are their three games at the end of the year. That's going to give them the most credit on the road to Penn state on the road to Maryland, who looked really good at the beginning of the year. And I think people know it's talented, Maybe they're not as good as we thought, but the people still know they're talented. And then obviously in the big house against Ohio State, um, it's just it it's a crazy three game stretch and it has to be weighing and daunting on these players. I I, I agree. Yeah. And in and, and the committee, potential committee effect. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they they said that this won't factor in, but subconsciously, you never know. Yeah, and I and I want to give love to Maryland too because um, I looked this up to Talia Tongavailoa uh, or Talia Tongavailoa. He's currently ranked six in Big Ten history in career passing yards with ten thousand six hundred and forty eight. And these next two games, obviously the last game in the season and their bowl game, he just needs five hundred and fifteen passing yards to become the Big Ten passing leader in all time history. That's crazy. Um, so it, 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 he's had a great career. Um, obviously, I don't think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Those guys generally play for a year and leave or play for two years and leave. Uh, so they don't get those career stats. But I mean, you think if I'm going to list off these guys who are at the top here, you have Sean Clifford, again, not one of the greatest, but very well known, very respected. Clayton Thorson from Northwestern, Drew Brees, Adam Weber, Curtis Painter. I mean, those are all very recognizable names um, in Big Ten history. And for Talia, or Talia to to not even be in that conversation, but to be atop at all, like that's huge, and that would be huge for Maryland as well. Yep, yeah, and yeah, that offense has just been so dynamic since yeah. he's been there, for sure. And Mike Locksley has always been, you know, a recruiting savant, Absolutely. especially in particular with quarterbacks, and to have this in his back pocket and showing, hey, this is what I do, this is what I've always done. You know, it, it's good for Maryland moving forward. Yep. yep. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think Talia can get it. You know, 515 passing yards in two games. Uh, we'll see what happens next week against Rutgers. That would probably be the more difficult one. But in a bowl game, if he plays in it, I mean, you're most likely going to be playing a team that might be missing a few starters and stuff like that. Yep. He could go off and, and have a really good game. So, all right, guys, let's talk about how big of an impact is losing Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. So we've seen uh, five games now. If If you ask me, it was Michigan's five worst games. Now you could also say two of those games were Michigan's two of Michigan's most difficult games, but we, we kind of have a sample size now, right? Three games at the beginning of the season, Sharon Moore coached in one of them. He was also suspended for one of them, but Jim Harbaugh has not been there for the three games to begin the season in these last two games. Um, Justin, I want to start with you. Do you think Michigan is a better football team or a worse football team or just even with Jim Harbaugh off the sidelines? So I think it's kind of a little bit towards the middle, but I would say a little bit worse, you know, because he's still going to be able to coach them during the week. Um, but there's always an impact to not having him on the sideline. You know, I know the players are trying to seem like they're rallying around him, you know, the free hardball shirt that made zero sense. But, um, you know, there's the potential that they play up for him. But right when they play up for him, that's typically, you know, you come out fired up for a game that doesn't last you through a playoff. And, and you know, so I don't think that fire and tenacity where they're playing for him is going to be there. I think that's going to wear off, but I think it's going to have a negligible impact overall. Um, I think losing Connor Stallions is going to have the biggest impact. 
more so than anything. And then kind of like we already mentioned, you know, the potential for the on-field distraction, um, the pressure that the players may feel, and then also, you know, have it in the back of their mind, like you mentioned earlier, potential draft stock issues, like all of that stuff is going through their mind and they can't say it's not. So when you're thinking a lot and you're not playing on instinct, that affects your game. It impacts your game. So less and I mean, and as we mentioned more, Sharon Moore coach for the first three games. So they have practice being suspended already. So there's that. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be negligible with, with the hardball. I think the other stuff um, that comes off of this is what's going to impact them the most. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Sonny, what do, what do you think? I think it really hasn't mattered in the five games that he's been out so far. Um, the first time it can truly matter is going to be next week. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, play calling and all that, the scripts are always set. They pretty much know what they're going to play on certain downs and certain positions. It's going to be next week where, you know, there's going to be 10 plus million people watching. You know, if Ohio State is able to put a little pressure on Michigan early, players tend to look at their head coach to kind of calm down. He's their leader. He's the one steering the ship. Jim Harbaugh is not going to be there. How is Sean, like, what what kind of mentality is he? Is he going to be a strong figure that the players are looking at? They're going to develop some self-confidence from? Or is there going to be a little, you know, uh, insecurity? Like, you know, where he's kind of second question, second guessing what he's supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, you know, the players are starting to question, hey, Ohio State's a really good team. They're up seven points. They're up 10 points. Does our head coach have what it takes to rally up, rally us up at halftime? You know, does he have the speech? Does he have the words that the players need to hear? So, I mean, fractionally, to answer your question, they're probably a little worse without Harbaugh there, but not to the point that it matters. I think it's going to be the intangibles that matter in particular next week. To your point with the game script, um, uh, just a little nugget here, though. Um, Sharon Moore and uh, their QB coach and uh, co-offensive coordinator, Matt Weiss, have called the play since last season. So um, I don't necessarily think the offensive impact will be will be much just because of that. They already know the game scripts that in everything that Harbaugh likes to run. They've been calling the plays. So exactly. That's, um, that's yeah. a big thing there, too. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, I'm a little bit. Uh, more on the it's a bad thing for Michigan than you guys are. I look at this in a lot of different ways. I see exactly what you're saying, Sonny, about like, you know, this is their leader. This is the guy who calms them down. This is the guy who, who, who they rally behind. And I look at this coaching staff. I looked at some of the numbers and Jesse Minter is the only coordinator on this coaching staff who has been a coordinator elsewhere. And it was one year at Vanderbilt. Um, now he had a good year. Don't get me wrong. You know, for Vanderbilt, it was a good year. You know, obviously they weren't great in the SEC, but they were respectable. Uh, so it was fine. But I mean, mentor has only been a coordinator in the power five for three years. Moore has only been a coordinator in the power five for three years. And all three of those years were with, uh, Michigan and two of them, like, like Justin said, like they were co-offense coordinator with Weiss, um, Jay Harbaugh. He's been a special teams coordinator for seven years and every single year has been, with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, uh, Steve Klinkscale, which I know all the drama with him, deleting his Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, you know, he's, he's only been the co-defense coordinator for two years and it's only been with Michigan. And so when I look at this coaching staff, like it'd be one thing, like I look at Michigan basketball and I'm not trying to make this into a basketball show, but Juwan Howard is out right now. Phil Martelli is filling in 
as the head coach for the team. Well, Phil Marcelli has has been a head coach for years upon years upon years. He's kind of older in his age now. He's kind of doing his thing as an assistant, not really as much responsibility, but still wants to be around basketball. And obviously, like this Michigan basketball team is not missing as much of a step. I know they last lost the other day, but like they're not missing as much of a step with Phil Martelli there. I feel like Sharon Moore is second guessing himself sometimes and he doesn't have that rock of Jim Harbaugh or somebody like that to lean on. I feel like he is getting in, into a bind and saying, okay, let's just run behind the offensive line. Those are the guys I know. These are the guys that I'm going to stick behind. And it works against Maryland. And it worked against Penn State because Penn, like Drew Aller couldn't, couldn't move the ball down the field. Mike Yersich was was terrible in play calling. I mean, there's a reason why he got fired at the end of that game. Like uh, It worked because the, you know, the, the, the game allowed it for that. I don't know if it's going to work against Ohio State. I know you can say all you want about toughness and all those things, but I think Ohio State has proven this year that this is not the same Ohio State team we've seen in the past two years. This is not a, the finesse team that they were. They're relying a lot more on their defense. Now, Michigan proved me wrong, and they can come out and say, you know, we're going to whip their butts and, and whatever. That's fine. But to me, I, I think it looks a little bit different, and if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm not feeling as confident without Jim Harbaugh there as I would be with him there what do you guys think am I, am I off base I think that's I think it's a fair point and regardless I thought Ohio State was going to beat him next week anyways um but I mean it's a fair point and and I think more it's it's more likely that it may be somewhere in the middle ground between the two you know it's uh it may be less uh more impactful than we think but maybe slightly less than you think the thing is we'll all find out you know this Saturday um because if this game isn't close then that's a huge sign that it's impacting them you know if it's close we'll wait and see how they do the next game you know maybe ohio state wins close but if ohio state comes in and dominates yeah it's clear clear as day so let let me ask a question who do you think has more pressure right now ohio state or michigan coming into next saturday ohio state both i think i think both have a lot of pressure and it's they have different kinds of pressure that's the thing though I think it's clearly Ohio State. You know, they have all the X factors going in on their favor. They've gotten their butts beat the last two years, and it really hasn't been close. And they've been claiming, the fans have been claiming it's because of X. It's because of Stallings. It's, this is the only reason. Now, if all of a sudden Saturday, you know, they're playing away. You know, if come Saturday, Michigan repeats what they've been doing the previous two seasons, I'm there's, you know, whether we like it or not, like we already see, you know, Ohio State and Michigan fans going back, back and forth at it's all over all of our timelines. I mean, there's going to be a lot of crow eating from Ohio State fans. And in particular, Ryan Day, I mean, he's got to be not able to sleep at night at this point because he has to take advantage of this situation. The interim coach, because if he loses on Saturday, if we thought Michigan fans were obnoxious, coming into this game they're going to tenfold and they're going to be right so i think right now there's a whole bunch of pressure on ryan day and ohio state and you know their fans almost as well my my thing is with that michigan you know that you're talking a lot about the fans and ryan day but more so the fans talking about it's been stallions I think the Michigan players, though, the Michigan players are actually feeling the most pressure because their situation dictates 
and kind of has to do with their play on the field. I don't know if the Ohio State players are feeling as much pressure from that whole this is Connor Stallions thing because I don't think they're the ones vocal about it. So I don't think it'll be them in crow. So I think they're going to play loose and free out there. But I do think there's pressure because this has become a game that, you know, they should win um, now. And I think it's more so the rivalry thing. No matter what, if Ohio State lost this game, it's going to be crazy. It just be a little bit crazier. So I think the the heat and you know everything from both sides is going to be a little more vitriol. I just think the players from Michigan are going to be feeling a little bit more pressure. Yeah, I think it's a different kind of pressure. You're right, Justin. I do think that overall, like all of Ohio State, the coach, you know, the fans, all that stuff, I think they feel more pressure than maybe Michigan fans do and maybe Sharon Moore does. I feel like Sharon Moore is kind of coming in here playing loose and, and doing his thing. But I also think you're right, Justin, like these players, like we talked about earlier, they're they're almost like validating these entire past two years in this moment. So like, not only is Ohio state trying to be like, look, they only beat us because of cheating and all these things going on. But the Michigan players are almost like, Hey, look, we are this good. You know, we can actually do this. We can actually do these things and we can beat Ohio state with or without the sign stealing and those different things going on. So um, I think you're right. There is pressure uh, in different ways. I think we see the Ohio State pressure because obviously we're on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see the, exactly. the vitriol and everything, uh, which I, I 100% love. When, when, yeah. when Michigan fans are coming into the Big Ten huddle, uh, oh, which, you're driving. Uh, yeah, the Big Ten Huddle. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I have like 3,000 followers now because I started talking about this Michigan <laughs> stuff so much. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but, but they, I mean, I have, I have had everybody in the world tell, or every Michigan fan in the world, it seems like, tell me, oh, you're actually the Buckeye huddle. You're actually, which is actually already a thing, the Buckeye huddle. So I don't know if they've heard the call outs or not, but, um, but, but, you know, they, they come in and, and they're all mad at me, which like, yes, I'm a Buckeye fan, but when it comes to the Big Ten, I just don't like cheaters. Yeah. I, I don't like somebody coming into the Big Ten and, and, and defacing the name of the conference. I didn't like what Northwestern did with the hazing stuff. I get that, like, you know, Pat Fitzgerald didn't know about it, and that's really hard. I do think that's a little bit of a different situation. I'm probably a little biased, but I do think that's a little bit of a different situation. Uh, so I don't know if I hold as much vitriol toward Pat Fitzgerald as I do against Michigan. I don't like what happened with Mel Tucker. You know, I, I wish the dude would have just kept in his pants and, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Not but at yet. the end of the day, like, if if Michigan were to ever win the national championship, there would be no celebrating for the conference because it wow. would just be like, well, you just cheated. Yeah. That's how you got there. That's how you did this. And at the end of the day, it puts a bad face on the conference. It puts a bad name on everybody in it. Yep. And it really, I mean, it, to me, it, it does nothing good for the conference if Michigan wins. And the TV deals, like this is, yeah. They're 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 thinking about this too. By the way, did you was it you that got into a Joe Clatt? Um, I didn't actually talk to Joe Clatt. Uh, I did get into it a little bit with Josh Pate. <laughs> oh, okay. Somebody got into a Joe Clatt. I can't remember who, but yeah, I was tweeting at Joe Clatt a lot because because the dude has completely flipped around his yeah. thing. I, yeah. I can I cannot stand Joel Klatt right now. The dude has completely flipped around his thing. His whole thing was, oh, the coaches are whiny babies because they're mad and this and that. And it's yeah. like, dude, now you're saying, oh, if only due process. It's like, no, that's not what you were saying at the beginning at all. You were saying, oh, they're mad because Jim Harbaugh is better than them. It's like, yep. was you he really? Can, you can tell he's insecure about it because he's actually responding to fans that are calling him out on it. So like. If I'm him, I have 270,000 followers. I'm ignoring it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Say what you want. So, so. 
All right, let's get to a few comments here. Uh, Jared Jones, Ohio State fan, I assume, with the profile picture. <laughs> You're going to spank him. I like it, Jared. I actually I don't give my pick away because uh, we are going to do the show tomorrow night, but I'm picking Ohio State. Uh, Surprise. Dylan Kuhn over at Boiler Express. Hey, JR, looking handsome as always. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. <laughs> I need some sunglasses like you, man. Uh, and then Russ, Michigan is obviously completely in it. Oh, yeah. So we need to get – oh, my gosh. Man. I had a guy um, – I made a tweet earlier this morning. Uh, I forget which one it was. I made two tweets about Harbaugh. Uh, but anyway, one of them I made th- this morning was about, like, you know, is Ohio State's win tainted? Uh, Jared, Jared Jones. Yes, huge Buckeye fan. Right there with you, Jared. Um, but but I made this tweet, and this guy came in, and he's like, I don't know what this whole big deal is about. Like, Michigan didn't even cheat. If you look at the rules, nothing actually happened. It's like, yeah, okay, Pete Thamel and everybody else is doing all this stuff. The NCAA yeah. investigation is lasting this long. You know, because they didn't cheat at all. They didn't do anything, right? Like it's it's obvious. It's right in front of our faces that they did something. It's right in front of their faces. It, it was funny though. I saw this Michigan fan. Um, he's part of the Voice College Football, but he uh, tweeted um, in the first half. He's like, "Oh, so this is this is supposed to be this best offense we faced all year." And then um, when they blocked the punt, he was like, "Oh, I guess Stallions did that." And then was real real quiet that second half. Oh man, that was that was beautiful to watch. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Maryland. <laughs> I actually was on the Voice of College Football the other day. And oh, were you? I, well, I, it was just a call-in thing. Yeah. Um, but I was just—I wanted to mess with the Michigan fans a little bit, uh, hey, so I called in. A lot and of I was. Them. Uh, well, so everybody gets on the voice of college football and they're like, I'm going to take off my bias glasses and I'm just going to, you know, do my own thing. You know, um, I'm going to say this. Sonny, were you there? I was listening. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mark, Mark, dude, Mark I, I likes I made, the debates. He likes I think, it. I think I made Mark a little mad, but <laughs> he likes the debates, though, and he, he'll never be mad. Like, he'll never hold a grudge. Like I've had he's had somebody come in there and say the most ridiculous stuff that everybody in the comments was like, get this guy out of here. That was Jr. this weekend. actually. That was me. And, yeah. and he. <laughs> But like the guy, he's like he's still like the guy works for the channel and all that. So like he's he doesn't hold on to any of that, and he's yeah. so busy he probably forgot it. Oh, I'm sure he did too. Yeah. It was just like it was like three hours into his stream, and I'm in there, and I'm like, JJ McCarthy's not good. Trayvon <laughs> Henderson is way better. Like this he defense, likes- we're gonna win by two or three scores. Like I mean, obviously, I don't believe all of these things. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do believe JJ McCarthy is a good quarterback. He's not looked great these past two games, but I think he's better than that. Yeah. I do think Michigan's interior of their offensive line is very good. I think the yeah. tackles are a little suspect, but you know, it's still better than most tackles in college football. Um, but you know, like it was just, it was funny. Um, and I'm sure I didn't look at the chat at all, but I'm sure the chat was, was very, uh, Mark, uh, Mark's hard to read sometimes too. He's hard to read sometimes. So yeah. Well, like I said, it was like three hours into a stream. If I was doing a call in show and I was three hours in, I don't know if I would want some guy coming in screaming the most. (laughs) So maybe I need to pick my timing better. (laughs) No, I'm sure he appreciated it. I'm telling you like that, that stuff gets the comments going though. So Yeah, I, um, I like Mark. It helps. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next one. If I can find my banner. Iowa beats Illinois 15 to 13. Uh, this was quite quite the game. Um, it looked like Illinois had it. Uh, the, the fourth quarter just kind of belonged oh, to Iowa. The percentage thing, I looked on ESPN. It was one of those situations where I, Illinois, I mean, it wasn't all the way at the top, but it was really, really high up there. And then it just kind of skyrocketed down um, about – I forget what part of the fourth quarter, but in the fourth quarter, it did that. Um, Sonny, you're a resident Illinois fan. What are your thoughts on this one? 
you know, as an Illinois fan, I'm kind of uh, reacting oppositely uh, as a lot of other Illini fans who, you know, I, I get that I think we, you know, gave the game away. And from a broad season perspective, we're now, I think, one in full, like uh, one in four against the Big Ten West, which is just, you know, obviously, arguably the worst division in college football history. Yes. But I'm kind of looking at it from uh, like a um, – a little more uh, micro level. Basically, all when we hired Brett Bielema, I asked for one thing. I wanted us to reach a level of a Wisconsin, Iowa, that sort of tier so that we could be competing for the Big Ten West Championship year in and year out. And then once that became consistent, we can kind of move on and see if there was a, a step after that. We went toe-to-toe with Iowa, a team that's now 9-2, and two, could potentially finish the season 10-2. and two. And essentially, it came down to, you know, an Iowa play. What Iowa does all the time. Uh, the game was in Kinnick Stadium, you know, and by the, t- the time the game ended, it was at night. And Iowa's got a crazy good history at Kinnick Stadium at night. Yep. I think Illinois did really well for themselves. I think um, the difference was essentially they got outcoached in the fourth quarter. There's certainly some questions I have for Brett that uh, I, I think even he wishes he could do over again. But I'm not down on the loss. Again, it was 15-13. We, I was on, again, not to, we keep plugging Mark here, but I was on uh, the Iowa uh, show and I did, uh, basically I've done two Iowa preview shows last week. And the comments afterwards, just me saying that I thought the game would be close, like I was being ridiculed. You know, it was just one of those like, Can't come read on. Those comments. Can't read the comments on there. Yeah, but it's just one of those things because a lot of people have a perception of Illinois because yeah. we started off the season so poorly and the two primetime games Penn State and Nebraska we look like we could be the worst team in the Big Ten that not a lot of people have seen the kind of turnaround that the Illini have had over the past five weeks and so I thought the game would be close I I was nervous through even in the fourth I was waiting for that one Iowa play to happen and you know when we had two defensive uh, pass uh, penalties on that uh, on that drive which they inevitably scored on you can't do that against Iowa. Iowa's waiting for that. When you give them free yardage like that, they're going to capitalize. That's why they are who they are. Uh, you know, congrats to them. You know, they're now the forever Big Ten West champions, and they're, in my opinion, easy, like clearly the best team in the Big Ten West. But I think, quite honestly, that they would have finished third or fourth in last year's Big Ten West uh, team uh, division. It's hmm. interesting. What do you think, Justin? This game, well, originally I was pissed off because um, this took away Nebraska's opportunity to win the Big Ten West, but it didn't matter. So at the end of the day, because we can't take care of business, we'll get into that next. But yeah, yeah, overall, just kind of what he said, it just that meltdown on the last drive. And what was it, a 30-yard run there to the right-hand side? Like, And and at that point, it it, you just knew that I was going to win that game. It's just like, that's what they do. Um, that team follows a structure, and they don't deviate from their game plan no matter what, and they don't beat themselves. It's like no matter how much their back's against the wall, they keep running their offense the same way, and they get it done. I don't know how. They're like the worst good team ever. They remind me of the Minnesota Vikings last year. Um, but, I mean, credit to them. They find a way. Illinois has been better, and, I mean, albeit – weren't bad in this game. Iowa does make teams look bad. And so um, 
I don't think Illinois played a bad game at all. Again, they put themselves in an opportunity to beat uh, the team that is now probably going to be the Big Ten West champion. And um, yeah, it was a really good game, but like I said, the ending didn't didn't do uh, do me any favors. So yeah, it's a. Uh, I felt bad for Sonny. I will say that. Me and him were texting. I just I felt bad for Sonny. So pour one out for Sonny. Well, I think Iowa, like, I think we've seen the progression of Deacon Hill. And it's not the progression that is, like, sexy, right? You yeah. know, if you see, like, Kyle McCord's progression this year from Indiana to Minnesota this last game, you know, you, you've seen it better. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. But uh, quarterbacks like that, you know, they're, they're in a much more high-powered offense, so it looks better. Yeah. Uh, but Deacon Hill, like, no interceptions. Right. A touchdown pass in this game. You know, you still want him to work on the sacks. You can't get sacked four times, but that's also on the offensive line, too. That's not all on Deacon Hill. Um, so you're seeing this offense progress uh, further and further and get better. Funny enough, after Brian Ferentz has now been fired, which he's still coaching, even though he's fired, yeah. um, which, Weird. you know, that's a whole other awkward. Yeah. It's like, what else will Iowa's offense do to surprise us? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, but but I think you know I think the story of this game is, is exactly what you guys are saying. Like Iowa is one of those teams that I just feel like they are built for the Big Ten West. Everything about them, everything about their coaching, they are built for the Big Ten West because they know that they have similar, if not you know, a slightly better talent than most other teams in the West. And they say, look, if we can just play our game the way we're supposed to play it. Don't make mistakes. Don't beat yourselves, right? Play solid special teams. Play the field position. Game. If we can do that, then we're going to win these games. And unfortunately, Illinois was just the, the. I guess I'm not saying unfortunately. I don't have really interest in this game. But uh, unfortunately for Sonny, I'll say that. Uh, Illinois just happened to be the most recent victim of that. I yep. mean, you even look at the Minnesota game, which I which I know we can get controversial about that. I think both teams played really well in that game. So I'm not saying one deserved more than the other. But Iowa, if, you know, the call wasn't the way it was called, they would have won that game by them doing what they have done all season long. Solid special teams, work off the big plays, get the ball in your playmaker hand to do what needs to happen and make it work. So I will say about Illinois, though, John Paddock, I think he might be better than Luke Altmaier. I think so, too. And I, and I don't know if that's because he's more skilled, but I think there is just a veteran presence to him. Um that makes him better. Sonny, you have any thoughts on that? I trust yeah, well, Sonny's I mean, opinion over mine. He watches well, I mean, he's going to – Brett's already said he's going to start the rest of the season. Um, yeah. I think it just comes down to almost confidence right now. Like, you know, you can you saw what Paddock's weaknesses were. I mean, I thought mm-hmm. he played just fine compared – you know, considering he played Iowa's defense. But he's small. You know, how many of these passes got batted down at the line of scrimmage? Um, his strengths are obviously he releases that ball really quick. And like quick enough where even the best of defenses can react sometimes. So, I mean, ultimately, I think Luke's ceiling is considerably higher. I think Paddock yeah. is just on like fire right now, and he it's he's just feeling one of those you know heater moments. And I I agree with Brett uh, in starting him yesterday, and I agree with him just to carry it through next week to Northwestern because this bowl game is so important. But I'm also at the same time very content and confident in Luke Altmaier being our quarterback moving forward. Yeah. And um, before we move on, another note of Iowa that we didn't mention, Cooper DeGene, you know, being out, didn't seem to impact them too much. Impacted them on special teams more than anything, but that's another thing. Credit to him battling through injuries and 
Vienna can still continue to do what they do. So, yeah, I would say the only thing that impacted them, I think, was that John Paddock seemed to be more confident throwing to some of the wide receivers on the outside than maybe some other quarterbacks have been. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, the, you know, the quarterbacks still did well. I, I think both quarterbacks still had like less than 50% uh, reception percentage per target or something like that, whatever it is on PFF. Um, so they still played well, but like he had the confidence to throw that way. And that's a big thing with Cooper DeGene is like, you know, not a lot of quarterbacks have the confidence to make that throw because they're like, Cooper DeGene is going to make some kind of big big play here and, and uh and yeah so it'll be interesting to see going forward how how iowa can do that so mm-hmm. all right let's move on to wisconsin it's beats not. nebraska 24 to 17 um nebraska was up early nebraska was you know it was brutal because halfway through the first quarter you got nebraska up what was it 14 to nothing mm-hmm. um I, I don't I guess I'm just going to turn it over to Justin because I don't know where to start with this game. Um, well, we can start where we start every week because it seemed like the same game happens every single weekend. Um, I will say this is probably the, the maddest I've been in a long time. Really? At a game, I was I was livid after this game. It just it seems like it's never ending, right? So Chubba Purdy comes out, immediately starts with a 55-yard or 58-yard run up the middle. Um, put on the afterburners, came out the second drive, 55-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Lloyd, right? So we're feeling pretty good about that. And then all of a sudden, you know, what we're doing in those first couple drives, we're running, we're getting, you know, we're shortening the the third downs, you know, instead of playing in a third and six to third and eight package or a third and eight to third and 10 package, we're trying to play more in a third, third and five and shorter, which opens up the playbook a ton, right? Worked like a charm for the first couple drives. Then all of a sudden Satterfield wants to change up the play calling. I don't know what it is that he continues to deviate from the game plan that works in the middle of the game. And then it's just scrambling to get back in a rhythm after that. Um, constantly we were fighting from behind the, behind the line of scrimmage. You know, we were doing too much dancing around the line of scrimmage when we can't move the ball vertically up the field. The last thing we need to be doing is getting cute behind the line of scrimmage. It, the play calling made no sense. Um, at one point, I will say we did take the three as opposed to last week where there was a controversial pass, which I was I was okay with that. Um, the issue came in tackling and the play calling. So our tackling was abysmal after it's been good all season. You know, we finally have a game. We had one turnover on the very last throw. So essentially no turnovers the entire game. But our special teams, our punter forgot how to punt um, in perfect weather. And then our defense forgot how to tackle. Mordecai, we had him sacked so many times. And he turned him into 15-yard chunks, 10-yard chunks. It seemed every single time we had him behind the line of scrimmage sacked, I would say about five or six times he would break one. A couple of those leading to touchdown drives. It was very frustrating because, like I said, we finally got the turnovers righted and everything else went wrong. Chuba, no fault of his. He still played a, a good, efficient game. They just set him up to fail with, you know, third and eight, third and 10, third and 15, and then also the pre-snap penalties, of course. But our punter getting an 18-yard punt with a chance to flip the field um, and then them scoring a touchdown, that that's what was the big backbreaker. Um, just 
little stuff like that. It's it was in the small details. Special teams played a huge part in losing us that game. So very frustrating. I don't know where this team stands right now. And now we uh, made it hard on ourselves. We got to go fight Iowa for bowl eligibility. So we might not score a point. Sonny, your thoughts? I mean, I was watching this game passively. And, you know, when I think of Nebraska and I look at their team, I have one high-level concern and one game-level concern. And the high-level one is I I love the hire of Matt Rule. I, I thought I'm as an Illinois fan, it bummed me out because I think they severe, like severely upgraded when it came to their head coach. But I really questioned that Satterfield hiring as yes. soon as it happened. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't seem like the type of guy that uh, Rule would bring in. And I questioned how their offense would look um, this season and beyond. And nothing has, you know, made me think otherwise. And, you know, just listening to Justin now, you know, I'm kind of like, I can see that Nebraska fans still feel the same way. Um, when it comes to the game, it seems like every time I turned on, looked at the screen, it was another tackle missed, another tackle missed, another tackle missed. And that for me was surprising because, you know, I mean, it's a Matt Rule team. You know, usually, you know, yeah, they may be bad, but fundamentally they're going to be really sound. And it's not like we're early in the season where you make these mistakes, where the the coaches, you know, impressions haven't been felt yet. We're at the end of the year at this point. Now those mistakes, those missed tackles should not be happening. And so those are the two big points that I saw. Like it's just, uh, you know, I don't think Wisconsin's a good team. Um, I obviously, you know, Illinois had them where they wanted them a few weeks ago and then gave up an 18 point lead in the fourth quarter when Newton went out. But I just, you know, they have some issues, I think, for the offseason, you know, whether Satterfield is the guy or not. But, you know, yeah, that's where I come from. I think um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard uh, Rule and Satterfield were friends before. So unfortunately, I feel like we're stuck with them for the next couple of years. And yeah, the defense, I mean, the defense and tackling have been great so far this year. Just this game, like you said, it's, it, I mean, I don't think Wisconsin would have scored a point if we would have finished sacks and got a tackle. That's how bad it was. So, oh, and I think there, there is a connection to Satterfield and Matt Rule. I think it goes back to Baylor. I think Satterfield was this tight end coach, maybe so, something like that, tight end or something like that. There's some uh, kind of connection. But I mean, you, you, this is not uncommon for a guy to leave and come back and go to another school and there's some kind of like position coach or something like that that he trusts and he says, oh, you know what, I'm just going to make this guy my offensive coordinator because he did a good job with my tight ends. Um, my thing is I don't like tight ends coach and offensive lineman coaches as offensive coordinators. I think there is a lot that they miss. Um, just, you know, my, my amateur knowing how a practice goes um, in college football is a lot of times the tight end coaches and the offensive line coaches miss a lot of time with like the passing game and some of that stuff. They get a lot of time with the running game, obviously. But I mean, when you're doing skeleton drills, which is basically seven on seven, your offensive line coach is not over there coordinating the passing game. That's why I like for quarterback coaches or running back coaches, even some Sometimes to be the offensive coordinator better. My preference is obviously quarterback coach. I like that better. And I feel like this is a situation where I'm sure Marcus Satterfield is good as a position coach. I'm sure he did a good job at the tight ends. I don't have a lot of research on that, but I would guess he did a good job there if he was trusted to be the offensive coordinator. Um, and I think that Matt Rule is really at a point here with his head coaching career to say, am I willing to make the tough decision? 
you know, yep. am I willing to admit this was not the right hire? You yep. know, I can keep Marcus Satterfield, Satterfield on staff because I think he does good things and I think he's good for my staff. But I, I need to go out and get an offensive coordinator somewhere else. I mean, at this point, Mike Yurcich would even be better. I'm not wishing that upon you, Justin. But that would even Thank be better than what is going on right I'll now uh, with all that's going on. Or just upgrade your quarterback coach to be co-offensive coordinator or something like that something if you trust him enough. Yeah. Um, yes, because you have to get that better play calling in there. And then, Justin, I think you nailed, nailed, hit the nail on the head with the special teams. The special teams was abysmal. Yes, the kicker had a 52-yard field goal to, you know, to what was it in the second half or something like that. Like, yeah. But but he also he also missed a huge field goal. That 29 yarder, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 when you're playing a team like Wisconsin, when you're playing in the Big Ten West, especially one of these games that really was more of a defensive battle. I mean, it was 24-17 in overtime. You have to get those points when you can get them. And yep. that's and that's huge. So, you know, the, the short punt, I mean, I think Wisconsin had a 25-yard return at one point yeah. on one of their parts or one of their punts. I mean, the special teams, that was, that was a big thing. So any more thoughts, Justin? Yeah. The last thing play calling in the uh, overtime was, was atrocious. Um, two plays that immediately got, and then a penalty got us behind the line of scrimmage third and 16. For some reason we're throwing, um, trying to get it all in one play. And then that puts us in a fourth and 16 obvious pass and down puts Chubb in a terrible situation again. Yeah. Just, just brutal. Everything goes back to Satterfield and, and special teams and well tackling too. But the defense, they did they did hold them to seventeen points in the game. However, it shouldn't have even been that. So, but the defense has held us up all year. I find it hard to really go after them too much. You're yeah. allowed to have a bad game every now and then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and that, and that's what it comes down to. And I'm going to mention this with the next game too. But when you rely on one group the entire season. It, not often, you know, not everybody's going to be Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> the defense just Iowa. comes through the entire season. You have yeah. to have something else. So, yeah. All right, let's move on to Ohio State beats Minnesota 37-3. to The Buckeyes, uh, kind of a slow start, 13 to nothing at halftime. You would have expected maybe a little bit more of an explosion there. Kyle McCord, he finishes like 20 for 30, but he started like 3 for 9 or something like that. So kind of a shaky start for Kyle McCord. You don't want to see that versus Michigan because, you know, you want him to come out and punch them in the mouth a little bit, you know, really get going. I don't know what it is about Kyle McCord. He's been struggling early in the games like this but then eventually it just seems to get right so uh sunny what were your thoughts on this game i think the last time i was uh on uh, the big time huddle i talked about how you know ohio state seemed to be on a weekly basis getting better and better and now that i'm on a few weeks later like it's still holding true you know with michigan now as from the game we saw last week kind of showing some kinks in the armor Ohio State, just like they see their defense just seems to be supremely confident at this point. Um, you know, I think I saw like they're like top five defense in the country, uh, depending on the metrics that you're looking at. And that's not traditionally what you think of when you think of Ohio State football. I know I've had casual conversations with, you know, friends who are college football fans, not particularly Big Ten fans. And, you know, they still go to the lazy comeback. Yeah, but the Ohio State defense is like, no, you know, Jim Knowles is now in his – you know, he's been there for a couple of years now. He's actually really built a really sound, steady defense. They're living on their defense at this point, whereas their offense is the more complementary uh, aspect of the team. So, you know, I think they're hitting their strides. And, you know, I know we talked about, you know, uh, pick, uh, predictions for next week. Or, and 
I've been monitoring it, you know, like it, it was at like eight and a half Michigan minus eight and a half uh, about a month ago. Then it went to six and a half. It was five and a half before this past weekend started. It's now three and a half. So the line is creeping towards Ohio State. Almost everyone I've been talking to and discussing the game with is picking Ohio State. So, I mean, they've got the mojo at this point. You know, they look like they're certainly playing. Yeah, they're certainly playing like the better team. Now, Michigan obviously has those outside distractions that contribute to the reason they may not be performing as well uh, on the field. But if I'm a Buckeye fan, I'm feeling really good about this season so far that, you know, they've taken on every single challenge that they've had and, you know, they, They've taken care of business and they've just got one more really difficult task left uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I think Jared Jones put it well here. I just can't get comfortable with McCord. He doesn't see open receivers and doesn't make great decisions. Frustrating. I think that's true in the beginning of the game, which you would think would be the opposite, right? You come in with those scripted plays, and I know that scripted plays aren't exactly boom, 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 this play, but you have a general idea of what you're going to call at the beginning of the game. And so you would think you work through those more, but that seems to be when Kyle McCord is at his worst, is at the beginning of the game. It's later on when he starts seeing those coverages a little bit better and and picking guys apart. I mean, I still can't get the Notre Dame game at the end. Um, I know he almost threw that one pick, but still, like, you know, Emeka Abuka streaking up the middle, that diving catch by Marvin Harrison Jr., which was still, like, that was a really good throw and really you catch um it, it just it it's interesting to see you know Travion Henderson has come back he's one of the best running backs if not the best running back in the Big Ten Marvin Harrison Jr. has been there all year Emeka Buka looked like who Emeka Buka is uh, or, or is supposed to be in this game um so Ohio State has everything firing all cylinders uh, cylinders I just think it comes back to Kyle McCord your thoughts Justin yeah I will say you know Ohio State played a very efficient game um no turnovers you know right and I think the biggest thing was 10 for 16 on third down. Like it seemed, I looked that up because it seemed like every single third down they picked up. That's what it felt like, you know? So um, Travion Henderson, I think does a great job of taking pressure off of McCord, especially because like you said, McCord comes out and starts a little slow. I think this game was what, uh, two two scores at half, something like that. 13 to nothing, yeah. But then Travion Henderson comes out in the third quarter, busts a big run, you know, first thing into the third quarter, that takes so much pressure off them at that point. And then kind of what um, Sonny was alluding to, that gives them an opportunity to rest some of these guys too. So, you know, not too terribly much to talk about from the game. It was pretty much, you know, a shellacking. Um, Ohio State ended up with over 400 yards. I don't even know if Minnesota hit 200. So, um, but yeah, it's it, this was more so just a test to see, I guess, how how prepared these guys look for Michigan. And also, you know, again, if they're feeling pressure coming into this Michigan game, I think it would have showed this week as well. So that's that's something of note because they also got to realize, you know, we have to take care of business this week before we even think about that game. So they did a good job of not looking ahead. I mean, they handle business. It's not easy to go win a Big Ten game 37-3. So, you know, you, we, can, we can give them that little bit of fair criticism, but, I mean – they're a uh, like he said. They're just getting better and better with each game. I the, earlier in the season I would have picked Michigan to win, but I, I'm picking Ohio State to win that game. Yeah. So um, overall, you know, pretty impressive performance. I liked. It. Yeah, and I, I think we want to we do want to take a moment and talk about Minnesota here too because uh, Athens Kaliak Manis. I pulled these stats from CFBStats.com. Athens Kaliak Manis versus three ranked team this season. 26 for 59, so that's a 44% completion percentage. 267 yards, one touchdown, 
four turnovers, 77.5 rating, which is the worst in the Big Ten of any teams who have played a ranked team. Um, that's not good. I I came into this season seeing Athen Kaliak Manis for who he was last year, seeing his body type, seeing kind of the bigger arm that he's able to play with and throw with, um, and saying, listen, if he develops properly, he could be an NFL, you know, a guy drafted in the NFL. I'm not saying he's going to start. I'm not saying, anything, but he could be a guy who's drafted in the NFL and teams look at him and say, hey, this guy has some upside. We can use him. I, I, I think that was a horrible take at the beginning of the season because he looks nothing like what you would want him to be. I, I At this point, I'm almost wondering if I would rather have Deacon Hill instead of Athen Kaliak Manis. I know that's kind of a stretch, but like he is just not playing well against these ranked teams. And even what was it? The Purdue game the other week, you know, where he had three yep. touchdown passes. He was like 18 for 42, you know, so. And I don't, and part of it too is coaching. I don't know if they put him in the best position all the time. Man, he ran play action and was rolling to his left and he's right handed quarterback, so that's obviously not good for him to be rolling to his left. And there was a guy, I mean, he was pretty wide open. I mean, as wide open as you're going to get against this Ohio State secondary. And he's on the run. He goes to make the pass, and the guy in Athen just dirts it five yards in front of him. Mm-hmm. We can all look at that and say, Athen Kalik Manis, you know, what are you doing there? Yep. But at the same time, it's like, why are you rolling him out to the left like that on play action and then yep. make it? I, I don't know. I mean, Sonny, am I off base here? What do you think? I don't think you're off base. Um, obviously, losing Ibrahim, you know, all the attention right. got focused on him now this year, and he, he hasn't really developed. I, I don't think he's looked awful by any stretch. So I think he's just kind of mid, you know, just he is, he is what he is. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Fleck in Minnesota tried to dabble in the transfer portal a little bit and tried to see if they can find someone to at least challenge him in the quarterback room. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think basically your assessment's pretty fair. Yeah. Uh, I do want to pull this up because what you were saying earlier, Justin, Biz says Maryland took a lot out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Oh, state, Ohio state should win. So, all right. Maybe I mean, more. like we said, there's going to be a lot of people picking Ohio state. They're looking better. Um, Justin, you have any thoughts on Minnesota before we end this one? Yeah, um, just to touch on Cali Manis, um, you know, I haven't necessarily – I think he's looked bad as well. Um, however, he's played better than Jeff Sims, so I'll leave yeah. you out with that. So it's relative. That's a positive. I've seen worse. That's I'll a positive. That. There you go. So, yeah, they're going to get Jeff Sims out of the transfer portal. So. Oh, God, take him, please. I don't know how much we're paying him for NIL, but we need I don't a even refund. Know if, I don't even know if he has eligibility left. but We need a refund for that NIL money. Somebody, you know, he does. So somebody please take him away. We okay. need to play a new quarterback. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk some Penn State Rutgers. Penn State beats Rutgers 27 to 6. Um, you know, this looks like a blowout, but Rutgers was hanging with them at halftime. It was 10 to 6. Um, I know people are making their jokes about Rutgers can't score a touchdown, and I get that. P- Penn State has a really good defense, though, guys. We'll, yeah. Let's make sure we, we acknowledge that with them as well. But um, Drew Aller, he left the game in the third quarter. Uh, James Franklin says it doesn't seem to be significant. Uh, I'm going to screw up this name, but Boo Prebula. Uh, yeah, Prebula. Prebula. Um, I think he kind of looked better than Drew Aller did, maybe a little bit. Um, Justin, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this this very much reminded me, game script-wise, of the uh, Rutgers-Michigan game, where it was really close at half, and then just the wheels kind of fell off in the second half. Um, like you said, Aller went out, Prebula came in, and... Um, after that, they just kind of established a run game. And yeah. 
that carried them all the way to the win. 17 points off of turnovers. Like you said, the defense, you know, three turnovers. The defense was was excellent. 17 points off of turnovers. That was the difference. Um, and fun fact, that's that puts them at a 17-game win streak versus Rutgers, which is crazy. Wow. But, yeah, Penn State, um, quarterback-wise, you know, Aller's been very efficient this year, but he has its moments where he just doesn't look doesn't look good. So it's it's um they're going to need to improve that. And and if Preble is better, they need to assess that quickly because it's a very short sample size. And and he did have the run game to help him out. So I I would assume you know of course they're going right back to Drew Aller, but that um I don't know if you know I have a Penn State my buddy's a Penn State fan. I don't know if he's necessarily. Um, that confident Aller from the sounds of it. So, um, but yeah, defensively they're going to be hard to beat just because it's. I mean, they're 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 stout for sure. Yeah, what do you think, Sonny? I mean, I, I think Al is just going through growing pains. You know, like I know he came in with super high expectations, but you know, I think just seeing Ohio State and Michigan kind of you know it was one of those shock and awe type of things he just wasn't ready for the moment that yeah. doesn't speak for him next year or the year after that um i'm gonna be careful about what i say about rutgers because i know that's the unofficial team of the big 10 huddle from the first <laughs> half of the year yeah but uh for me i just think once they got that bowl eligibility you know they weren't going to win the division so a lot of what they were playing for is not really there anymore so they're always going to be competitive. You know, Greg Sciano's, you know, doing a wonderful job with that program. And, you know, they, they're already exceeding the expectations that a lot of people had for them. But I just think when they come up against teams that are obviously better than them, that's just kind of the result that you have to look forward to. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that's not being talked about a lot in this Rutgers game um, is just the stretch that Rutgers has gone on. Right. I mean, you had Ohio State, you had Iowa. Now you get Penn State like uh, they're just on a really, really hard stretch here. And I I applaud them for coming out and being close to Penn State 10 to six. But in that second half, it just I mean, Rutgers is not a team with a lot of depth. No. Right. We talk about Michigan, you know, going through a hard stretch and then playing Ohio State. I mean, Rutgers on this hard stretch, like I said, Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State, and the lack of depth that they have to be able to do what they need to do to win these games. Um, and, and the way they play, too, it's just you're you're not going to win that way if you don't have depth and you don't have another option. Right. I mean, Kyle Manungai, the dude has been, you know, just basically ridden the entire season by this Rutgers team. I mean, he is the offense in a lot of ways. Gavin Wimsat and his rushing too, but primarily a lot of it is built off Kyle Manungai and this offensive line being able to do what they're able to do. But when you see big physical teams like Ohio State, Iowa, and then Penn State, your offensive line is going to get torn down eventually. Um, I think they were playing one backup, off, backup offensive lineman in this game as well. So that's really, really hard. Um, I'm not trying to make an apology here for Rutgers, but I just feel like this was not a friendly stretch of the season for them. Mm-mm. And I don't I don't know if I see him beating Maryland this weekend. I that's that's interesting because I, I it's 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 just all dependent on what dang Maryland team comes out, you know. Yeah. If they play like they did this week, continue that, I they're gonna win. Um, but that Maryland before you know Rutgers defense is still very physical so if if Maryland's playing like they were those those that five game stretch it's gonna it's gonna be ugly for them so that'll that'll be a very interesting game for that dynamic for sure yeah a lot of big storylines a lot of interesting games in the Big Ten people yeah. don't appreciate it enough national media talk more about us 
Yeah, Big Ten West, man. It's very competitive. Yeah. Right? That's the best word for it. It's competitive. I, I was tweeting at Josh Pate this weekend, though, about his uh, Arkansas take. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. Oh, he tweeted like halfway. It was like when Arkansas lost those three games to like Alabama, Texas A&M, and I think Ole Miss, which Ole Miss don't get me started on them. They're like the most overrated team. <laughs> yeah, they in the are. Nation. Um, but like they like it was like a one or two score game in all of those, and so then obviously this was like you know Josh Pate's crown jewel of the SEC oh, to say, God. oh look how good they are because they've had all these close games, and you know, but then in reality it's like no, this team's awful. Alabama, Texas A and M, and Ole Miss just all played bad games. <laughs> if close you watch games, games, if close games counted, Nebraska be national champions, right? Like come exactly. on, huh? yeah. we'd be undefeated every year. Exactly. So, so yeah. Um, but anyway, all right. Let's get to Northwestern at Purdue. I don't know if I was at Purdue. It was at Northwestern, right? Northwestern played Purdue twenty-three to fifteen. Northwestern uh, was outgained in this game. Actually, I like this point. Uh, this uh, quote from David Braun after the game, which. Consider me number one David Braun fan in the Big Ten. I, I I can't get enough of the guy. He said, yards don't result in wins. Points do. And I know that's a very simple statement, but, I mean, True. that's that just kind of feels like the coach David Braun is. It feels like who Northwestern is uh, right now. They're not the most talented team. They're not going to get the most yards, but they're going to play with the most inspiration. They're going to play with the most heart. They, they feel like they have something they're working toward this season. Uh, Sunny, what do you think about the game? You know, congrats current, you know, I mean, full eligibility. Like, this is one of the finest coaching performances I've seen in 20 plus years of watching college football. Um, I mean, Hudson Card was out, Purdue's best defensive player was out. So, I mean, they had a pretty distinct advantage coming into the game. But, you know, with all the bad stories in between Harbaugh, Michigan, Deion Sanders, like the aggravating stories, David Braun is one of just the good stories that it's coming out of this season. So, you know, I want to give him all the credit and do, you know, they're one of our protected rivals. So I have, you know, some opinions on him on moving forward too, but right. the job he's done this week, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful that they won yesterday because now otherwise next week it would be Illinois versus Northwestern battling for a bowl game. They've already clinched theirs. So our hope is that they can ease up a little bit, but like you talked about, it doesn't look like a David Braun team is uh, the type that's going to ease up. Yeah. what do you think, Justin? Yeah, it was, um, it, you know, the, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me is Northwestern's, um, ability to battle back, you know, because this game was pretty close. Um, and then Ben Bryant answered with a, a long 52-yard touchdown to Cam Johnson that kind of really just – that essentially put the game away. Of course, Porter had two touchdowns that he came in and finished it off. But, you know, this this Northwestern team's got a lot of fight in them. Um, and they they seem to show that no matter what. And even, you know, even though Purdue's bad, um, they came out there and Purdue, you know – early on made a game of it and just their ability, like I said, to punch back and win and the home finale, you know, see the fans come out on the field and stuff like that. It was a, uh, it was a good game. And uh, yeah, I'm just, just, you know, happy for the coach, but again, Northwestern man, bowl eligible for Nebraska. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think you saw a bit of just a dejected Purdue team this yeah. weekend too, right? I mean, you have all the injuries, everything that's gone on this season. Tyrone Tracy, I still think Tyrone Tracy is a really good running back, very underrated uh, in the conference. But, um, you know, Ryan Walters came into this game switching their quarterback. I don't know if he was doing that to see who would catch fire and then like maybe roll with him. But uh, to me, that's just like a rookie coaching mistake. It's like, just pick your guy and go with him. Don't mess around yeah. in this game. Like, just win the games, gain some favor with the fan base, finish the season on top as best you can. Um, but switching back and forth between the quarterbacks, um, you know, big plays happen. Purdue couldn't couldn't move the ball in short yardage, it seemed like. Um, just didn't see – it seemed like Purdue was maybe more talented – in some areas, but Northwestern was just overall the much more inspired team uh, who was not going to be um, not, not on top at right. the end of this one. No, I agree. So. All right, let's move on to Michigan State beats Indiana 24-21. to um, I'll be honest, I didn't get a ton of eyes on this game. I watched it a little bit, but there were so many other things going on. Um, I saw the stands for Indiana. I know Thanksgiving break, but it was still not a good situation for IU there. Uh, Justin, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, I watched the tail end of this game. Then I kind of went back and watched a little bit of the uh, highlights, but, uh, you know, the battle for the old brass platoon, I had to go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just checked it out because it was a really close game and just they were trading shots early. Um, and then, you know, Jamari Sharp in the third quarter, I think this is the play that kind of did them did them in. I think that interception and then he fumbled and his pick back up by Michigan State. That was Indiana's chance right there, I think, to recapture some momentum um, that would have had them in the field goal range or very close to field goal range to start that drive. And maybe they're not having to kick a field goal there at the end to try to try to take it into overtime. So I think that was a big, a big, you know, back shot. But the thing is, they they still had an opportunity and they still battled back. And but I just think I think that right there was their moment. Um, and that ended up being the difference because they like I said, they came out and they they shanked the uh, field goal to to tie it and send it in overtime. And I'm going to say this. Um, I watched that Malik Carr play and immediately went and Googled how big that guy is because that is a huge human being. Yeah. And with that, that uh, like I watched that touchdown live. That was crazy. They were just bouncing off. Like, he got hit pretty hard. The first one just stumbled but continued going, and he wasn't getting taken down. I looked at I think he was 6'5", 2-something. But he, that guy looks bigger than that. But that was, that was kind of wild. But, yep. Um, Pretty good game, you know. Michigan State. Credit to them; they're battling. Yeah, for sure. Sunny, what do you think? I didn't watch any of the game because there was like twenty five other games I would have rather watched than these two. But I was kind of paying attention just to the storyline from afar. Um, we played Indiana, obviously, the week before, and so we interviewed a couple guys from the Indiana side, you know, for game previews and whatnot. And the general consensus was there was some there's some positive energy with Tom Allen. Uh, the idea was the Illinois game was a 50-50 one, and then they would kind of steamroll through Michigan State. And uh, I forget who they play in the last – oh, uh, Purdue, uh, the last game yeah. of the season. So Illinois was the one that they were worried about. Um, they lost to Michigan State. And so I think this pretty much, if it was not 100% before, it's now like 99% uh, puts a nail in the coffin for Tom Allen and his time in Indiana. Um you know, he's going to be one hell of a defensive coordinator somewhere. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams yeah. interested in him. But, uh, yeah, as for the game itself, I didn't really watch much. But, uh, 
Yeah, I think uh, Tom Allen, the buyout might be too much. And, and that's really what it comes down to with Indiana is do they care enough to pay a big buyout to move on from their coach or are they just going to write out next season? Um, I was telling one, one of my in-laws who is an Indiana fan, um, you know, and I didn't really initiate the conversation about it, but I did engage in it because he brought it up and he just told me, he's like, Indiana's just the embarrassment of the Big Ten when it comes to football. Um, obviously much more historic basketball program. So, uh, you can't say overall, uh, and they do win in some other areas as well. But when it comes to football, the, you know, the administration just doesn't put enough into it. Uh, he told me he thinks they're stuck with Tom Allen another year because they just don't care enough to pay the buyout to get him out of there. Uh, the fans just don't care enough. And, uh, he was actually there for the game and he said like it was just embarrassing even just sitting in the stands knowing that there are cameras out there that are going to be showing the stands some he was like it's embarrassing knowing that there's a thousand maybe two thousand people at that game uh and on senior night too obviously the students weren't there it's thanksgiving break so you know that does impact it but uh you know it's just a really really tough situation for indiana right now and to yep. think where they were back in 2020 with Michael Penix Jr., I mean, the reach to beat Penn State, giving Ohio State a really right. good game. I mean, right. they were going to go to the Big Ten championship game if they didn't change the rules for Ohio State to go yeah. there instead. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And to think this is where they are now three years later, yeah. um, it's wild. Yeah. For whatever it's worth, uh, on our uh, one of our episodes last week uh, for the Indiana preview, we did have a guy with Indiana who, again, claimed to have a source that – the money is there, and the money is going to happen for that buyout. Uh, it was a simple matter of if they could sweep the remaining games and make it to a bowl game, mm-hmm. he could have salvaged himself another season. But Indiana is very much counting on that new TV deal and media money and that the contact has already been made with some of the major donors that it's pretty obviously that that opening is going to be made available by the end of the year. Gotcha. Yeah, my guy didn't have any sources. He's just a fan who <laughs> fans of sources, all right. <laughs> He's just a fan that gets miserable watching Indiana football. <laughs> so. Uh but hey, shout out to Michigan State. Um didn't know if they'd win another game this season. They they went out there, they they played for Harlan Barnett and they won the game. So good for them. I would say Indiana's a basketball school, but now Nebraska's a basketball school. So just putting that out there. There you go. Yeah. Switching up. Five and oh, baby. All right, guys, I don't know how much time we want to spend on this because it is past an hour and 10 minutes, but let's just do this pretty quick. Who have been your five best players in the Big Ten this season? You can take best however you want. You can say your favorite to watch. You can say the guys who have just been the best overall. You can say the guys with the five best stats. I don't care. However you want to paraphrase it and make it or however you want to make it happen. Sonny, who did you have as your five? I had uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Obviously, I think he's the best player in the Big Ten. I had uh, Cooper DeGene just because I think Iowa needed to be representative and he kind of represents everything about Iowa. I think yeah. he's, you know, he had to be uh, on my list. Uh, Blake Horm, I think, you know, his counting stats would be even higher. I just read that he didn't even play in a, fo- a fourth quarter snap until the Penn State game. Otherwise, his numbers would be uh, even better. I put, uh, I want to put in a quarterback. So I put Talia in just because kind of a, lifetime achievement award because JJ's obviously kind of fallen off and Kyle McCord has decent stats, but I don't think he's really, he doesn't jump out. Don't indicate who he really is. Exactly. And finally, of course I'm putting Jerzon Newton because I think he's the best defensive player 
in the conference and it's not close and uh he had to be on the list yeah no i think that's a good list um i actually had two of the same guys i had marvin harrison jr and blake quorum on mine i do I know people bring up the yards per rush for Blake Corum. It's not as great as some other people, but you also have to think about how much work this guy gets on the goal mm-hmm. line. You know, now obviously it's not Jerome Bettis or anything like that, right? He's not the bus, but I mean, this guy is huge, huge thighs. I mean, he's just all muscle below the waist. Uh, and so he can really push and make those things happen at the goal line. It is absolutely money when you know, just hand it to this guy, and in two or three plays, he's going to get it into the end zone within five yards. Um, so I feel like he has to be in there, especially when you're one of the best at something in the entire conference. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the other one. I just feel like this Ohio State offense would be nowhere near what it is. I think Travion Henderson's really good, but when he's the only option, I think people could shut him down a little bit better. Uh, not completely. And then, I, you know, I had to give some special teams love. So I was going to say Cooper DeGene, but you know what? I'm going to give some love somewhere else because I thought one of you guys would say it. Tory Taylor. All right. You, I'm not you saying he's Heisman. He's, he's okay. going to be my mention. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but uh, look, guys, he's he's possibly going to break a record that's been withstanding by Michigan State punter slash quarterback slash running back for like almost 100 years. I think it was like 1938. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So I, when it comes down to it, Tory Taylor, to me, deserves the recognition. Uh, Tyler Newbin, I really like him for Minnesota. I know that some other people disagree with me on that, but I just like the way he plays. I think that he is the leader of that Minnesota defense. I know Minnesota's not as good um, as maybe they should be, but I just really like the way he plays, and I think he's one of the one of the best safeties in not just the Big Ten, but in all of college football. Uh, and then my last guy, I know I'm a Buckeye, so I'll be a little biased here, but I feel like he's really underrated because he doesn't have the stats to match it. Uh, but Jack Sawyer is kind of my other guy that, you know, he's really, really good in run defense. I don't think he gets enough credit for how well he's been doing there, but he has been doing a lot better these last few games, so I think he gets credit for that. Um, Justin, do you have a five or thoughts on our, well, so, um, I had the first five that popped in my head and a lot of them were on Sonny's list. Um, the (laughs) only one that I just being a Nebraska fan and I know how much he disrupts the game and how much he, he anchors this defense, Nash Huttmacher, um, on that interior line, you know, undefeated wrestler. And that dude is strong as it gets. And, and I don't think our run defense would be anywhere near it is, without him. So just as far as his impact of the game, Nash Hutmacher is one that I'd add to mine. So, um, but outside of that, Marvin Harrison, I got Cooper DeGene on mine as well. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm not, I don't have quorum on mine. I, I, I kind of like Travion Henderson better than I like quorum. That's just me. But um, I probably would have went with Travion if he would have played the entire season. That's the thing. I want, I, I want him on my top five just with how he's playing right now, but he didn't play the full season, but I would put him over. I like him more than Corum, just yeah. as far as ability goes. But well, Corum has that kind of ace, you know, goal yeah. line thing, like we were talking about. But yeah. Trivion has that burst and that ability at any point in time, like we saw against Minnesota. You know, he he gets a hole, he bursts through it. Nobody's catching him. Yep, you know, he's fun to watch. That's for sure. He is for sure. So. All right, guys, that's all I got. Thanks for joining us here. You guys got any more thoughts on the Big Ten or just college football in general or anything you want to bring up before we get out of here? Just sad the season's about to end. We just yeah. got one more game for the you know regular season and bowl game, hopefully, for Justin and I. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the season always goes by way too fast. I do find bowl games a little bit more interesting now that you kind of get to see some backups 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I like it better than the way it was before. You know, obviously, I, I would rather have both season the way it was, but it is kind of interesting to see, you know, a quarterback who's probably going to be starting for a team next year come in. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Hey, thanks, guys, for listening. Appreciate you all. Thanks, guys, for being here. Appreciate it. We will be actually live streaming Monday night instead of Wednesday night because of Thanksgiving and everything. So we'll have a recap or not a recap. We'll have our preview of the entire week 13 or week. Yeah, week 13 coming up and then college basketball. We will have a kind of recap slash preview for that on Tuesday night. So it'll be three straight days of episodes here um, and we'll get it done. So. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, man.